so many times we don't see that, but we want to just thank you that we can sing holy forever. Every day of our lives until eternity, until forever, that we can sing holy forever. So Lord, as we praise your name, please let us see victories because of Jesus Christ. Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat as we introduce this next song to you. Again, just joining us in praise to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's the one that deserves all of our praise for all of our lifetime. A thousand generations falling down in worship to sing the song of ages to the Lamb. All who've gone before us all who will believe will sing the song of ages to the Lamb. Your name is the highest. Your name is the greatest. Your name stands above them all. All thrones and dominions, all powers and positions your name stands above them all and the angels cry
Father, we just thank you for these songs of praise this morning, that we can gather in one name and just celebrate and just lift these praises up to you. Lord, we ask that your spirit just dwells among us in this place, that we hear your word, that we hear these songs of praise, we hear these words, and they just seep into our hearts. Lord, we just allow this sermon that's going to be preached this morning to just dig root deep into our hearts, that we can take this message out to your people, your unchurched people out in this world, and just bring light and joy and grace to them. Please watch over us, be with us. In your name we pray, amen. Thank God for that incredible worship, amen. What a powerful morning this morning. Today, we are thrilled to have with us a guest speaker this morning that I've invited to be here. Um, he's no stranger to Crossroads. He and his wife were part of our church in the 90s, if you can believe that. That's a long time ago. Some of you weren't born yet, but uh, that was a great time, and uh, David and Susan Habick, uh, they were wonderful people. David came here and this, the, he, he grew in the Lord here. He, he found uh, a relationship with the Lord and he's going to talk a little bit about that today, how that it just took off for him and his wife here at Crossroads. And we're so happy for them, so happy to have them here today. But uh, he, he moved away from here. You know, that's what happens. People from, not from Pittsburgh, they come here for a while and then God takes them on to the next place. And he was a pharmaceutical sales rep. I always say this is my only drug dealer friend that I have, okay? So... Uh, <laughs> He was a pharmaceutical sales rep, and God took him to uh, Charlotte, South Carolina. He was on the South Carolina side of Charlotte, and uh, God used him. He went in, and he started leading men's ministries, and he's worked with hundreds of men. And God has done an incredible work in and through his life as a layperson. And so he left here, and he went off, and he was selling drugs. I mean, pharmaceuticals, right? He was selling pharmaceuticals, and he had a day job. And then uh, God used him to reach hundreds of people for the Lord 
So I went down to, to Luke Sareka's wedding. Our youth pastor, Luke, got married here just a few weeks ago in Lynchburg. And uh, Dave and Susan are currently living in Lynchburg. He's working on a PhD. I don't like to brag about this, but on a PhD through Liberty University. Can we thank God for that? Huh? That's smart people. Man, all day. But uh, he's working on that, and he's living in Lynchburg currently. And I said, hey, can, I'm coming down there. Can I stay at your house? So they, they let us stay at their house, and we crashed in their basement, and uh, we had a great time. And it just happened to be that the weekend that I was there, he was speaking in his church. So he's uh, part of the pastoral team over at Bedrock Community Church in Bedford, Virginia. And so uh, I went, you know, pastors, we can't do our sermon once. We have to do them three times. Have you noticed that? I do Saturday to Sunday. Well, he did three on Sunday, 8, 9.30, and 11. And uh, I said, I'll see you at 9.30 and 11. 8 o'clock is sunrise. That's too early. So, uh, but we showed up and we heard his sermon twice. I said, I want him to come back and share that to our people. So would you welcome this morning uh, Dave Habick, a disciple who found the Lord here at Crossroads. Let's throw this over here, Ken. Thank you, Ken. I love Ken Barner. What's not to love? Ken and Rhonda, it's really cool. It is a total honor for me to be here with you today. Uh, an honor because this is really where God moved in my life to bring me to himself. And he used Ken and Rhonda and some of you that are here today even uh, to do that. So I am so grateful to be able to come back here. Uh, Ken, I don't know if you mentioned this, but I was baptized in this baptistry right up here with my wife. And uh, really just an awesome thing. What I want to talk to you about today, though, is about wisdom. And Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, wrote Proverbs. And in Proverbs, we're given a choice with each of the Proverbs. Do we choose wisdom or do we choose folly? And that's sort of the way that it goes with Proverbs. It's wisdom or folly. You either choose wisdom and make wise choices or you choose folly and make foolish choices. So the choice is always yours. But I want to talk to you today about the wisdom of community. Not just talking about community, but the wisdom of community. And the reason that we call it the wisdom of community is because Proverbs speaks about it a lot. So today, as we get into this, I just want you to be focused on what is God saying to you this morning. And so, first of all, what I want to do is I like to go all the way back to the beginning, back to Genesis, because this is where it all began, obviously, where God created the heavens and the earth. And if you read through Genesis and you go through the creation account, you see that, you know, the first day, it was good. The second day, it was good. The third day, it was good. And it goes on like that. And eventually, it becomes very good. But there's one exception. When God looked at the man that he had made, this is what he said. This is uh, Genesis 2:18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. So, what does that tell us? It tells me that we were made for community. That you were made for community. That I was made for community. And so we're made for this. So when we look to the wisdom of community, it's important to keep in mind that we were made for community. We're designed for community, not to be alone. That's the one thing that was not good in creation. If we look fast forward a little bit to the life of Solomon when he wrote some wisdom literature, including Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes, he writes this. 
Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. So even in the wisdom literature, we're told it's better to be together. It's better to be united in community. Woe to the one who is alone. And so we were literally made for community. Now, when you think about Scripture and what it shows us and what it reveals to us, sometime later on, science eventually figures it out, and we see that it's supported in science. So what I want to look at today is in view of the fact that we've just come through this horrific pandemic where we were isolated and we were apart from each other and that community was a difficult thing, that created a lot of problems for a lot of people. Of course, the introverts were probably like, hey, that wasn't so bad. But the extroverts were like, you know what, this is killing me. So if we look at the CDC data and the NIH data, they did some studies before COVID. So this is prior to the pandemic, and it said that poor social relationships or isolation or loneliness result in 29% increased risk of heart disease, 32% increased risk of stroke, and higher rates of depression, anxiety, suicide, high blood pressure, obesity, weakened immune system, cognitive decline, Alzheimer's disease, and even death. So, so mental illness is, is, right, is very prominent on this whole thing. It's mentally healthy for us to be in community. It is not good for man to be alone. And that's what this uh, science has finally caught up with Scripture, and, and there it is. So when this is over today, the one thing that I want you to come away with, the big idea today is that Christian community is a powerful gift from God to grow his people. So Christian community is a powerful gift from God to grow his people. That's what he uses to grow us. And frankly, that's, uh, that's what he used to grow me. And uh, I think you'll see that that's something that if it's not in your life, it really needs to be because that's what he will use to grow you as well. So we have a memory verse today. So the, the memory verse is again out of Proverbs and it deals with iron. And it's talking about community. So the memory verse is, and this is a, an iron, cast iron skillet, budget version, <laughs> and an iron hammer. And so if, uh, if we use these together, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. So our verse today is iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. So if I was to take this hammer and I was to pound this thing and just keep pounding. Eventually, I could pound this into a shape that I wanted, a pruning hook or, or even a, a blade, you know, and sharpened blade or whatever. So with this as our device to remember this verse, let's all say this verse together. Ready? Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Excellent. So this will be a, a way to remember that, but that's our verse for today because it's important. In Solomon's wisdom literature that God gave him this wisdom to put down, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. That's talking about community. So with that in mind, let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this beautiful day, for this opportunity to be here at Crossroads Community Church again. And Lord, I just pray that your word would be spoken today and that uh, what it is that you want to reveal to us, prepare our hearts to receive it, Lord. I pray your Holy Spirit would invade this place and just deliver to us what it is that you have for us today. May we be attentive to your word and may we, may we hear from you so that we hear what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen.
Community hits home hard to me because in my life, uh, when I was 11 years old, my parents brought my brothers and me, I have two brothers, into the kitchen and they sat us down at the kitchen table. And we're sitting at the kitchen table and they said to us, hey guys, guess what? We're getting a divorce. That means dad's moving out, mom's gonna have to get a job, and it's gonna be different from now on. And I just remember, the rest of it was just white noise after that. I didn't really hear what else they said. I just remember that things were gonna change and it wasn't gonna be good. So I just got up from the table and I walked into the bathroom and I just went and I looked in the mirror and I said, hey, it's just you and me now. We're on our own. And in that moment, I was listening to this whole isolation narrative that I'm gonna be alone, it depends on me, and from that day forward, I started to do what was right in my own mind, in my own eyes. And I started to take a dark downturn after that. And it was, it was rough, because I was on a bad path, and it was a result of this news that I'd gotten and the way that everything was gonna change. My dad's a workaholic, he's not gonna be home much uh, or anymore, and my mom is gonna have to get a job, she's not gonna be home, and it's all gonna be about what I figure out for myself. Well, what's interesting was God did something there. God got a hold of my dad, and my dad said to me, you know what, why don't we meet together for dinner every Wednesday night? And we'll go to friendly ice cream, and we'll sit down there, and we'll have a meal, and we'll just have a good old time. So that's what we did. So every Wednesday, my dad would take me out to friendly ice cream, which there aren't too many in Pittsburgh, but they're, they're out there. And every night, we would go, and he would just listen to what I told him about my day, He'd ask me questions. He even took notes. Sometimes he drew pictures and showed me things that he was thinking about, but he poured wisdom into me, and he brought me back into fellowship with Christ and back on the straight and narrow. And I do remember that my favorite was the go-to. I got it every time I went. And if you go to Friendly's, you can check this out, if they still have it. Big beef cheeseburg special platter, do away with the coleslaw, double french fries, and a large strawberry fribble. That was my go-to every single time. I don't think I ever deviated from that, and I still am kind of hooked on those kind of things. The Fribble's a giant milkshake. I mean, it's like a quart. It was really, really good. <laughs> but the point is, my dad took me in community, poured wisdom into me, and got me back where I needed to be with Christ, to where I knew where I was supposed to be. And so, for me, this hits very close to home. Community is critical in our lives. So where can I seek the wisdom of community? Where can we go to find the wisdom of community? Well, we, we want to hear from God on community, right? We don't want to listen to bad sources. We want to hear from God on this. So Henry Blackaby's Experiencing God says that God speaks to us through the Holy Spirit through really four main avenues. One is the study of Scripture, which we'll get into in a little bit. We're going to talk about that. The second one is prayer. Next is circumstances that we're in that happen that God orchestrates for us to learn from. And then fourth is the community of believers. But I want to talk a little bit about prayer because we're going to talk about these other ones uh, shortly. Not circumstances so much because it's different for everybody, but prayer. I would encourage you, even if you're in community right now, seek God's face in prayer and ask him, God, what do you have for me in community? What's my role in community? How do I need to plug into community differently or more or better? And just ask him that and see what he shows you, see what he does, see what happens. So prayer is critical with this. Now, we'll get into the other ones in just a minute, but I wanna say, where do we not look for our wisdom in community? 
1 Corinthians 3 tells us, let no one deceive himself, for the wisdom of this world is folly with God. So here it is, wisdom and folly. We don't want to choose folly. The wisdom of the world is folly. The world has lots of wisdom to offer us, wisdom. We don't want to look to the world for our wisdom because we won't find it. We'll find the world's wisdom, and that falls short. It's foolishness. James tells us, friendship with the world is enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Again, not the world. Do not turn to the world for your wisdom. Galatians 5 tells us, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So should I turn to my flesh? No, that would be foolishness. Our flesh will always take us down the wrong path. And then finally, the place we don't want to look is to Satan. James 4 tells us, Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We certainly don't want to listen to the devil. And when I was sitting there looking in the mirror, feeling isolated, feeling like it depended on me, who was I listening to? I was listening to the devil in that moment. And we don't want to do that because there's no wisdom from the devil. So let's take a 30,000-foot view of Scripture just overall, looking at what Scripture says about the wisdom of community. So if we look at Scripture, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Godhead, is an eternal community from eternity past for eternity future, living in perfect community. In fact, why are we even here? The Trinity didn't need us. God didn't need us, but he made us to love us. And so the fact that we're here tells us that community is what it's all about. But the Trinity was a perfect community from eternity past. Secondly, we're made in God's image, which means we're made like God in a way, in his image, for community. We're made for community. And we already talked a little bit about that. And everyone here, every single one of you, was born into a family. There are no perfect families, and some families are really broken. But every single person in here and every person that will be born in the future is born into a family. And so God puts us in community right from birth because that's what we need. That's what we're made for. That's what we're born into by his design. Jesus went out into the streets and the towns to seek out and gather his disciples together in community. So when he gathered the disciples together, you see him going and calling them, come follow me. Well, what's he doing? He's got three years to take 12 guys to change the world for all time, and he's going to be gone. So what are you going to do? You've got three years, and you want to make disciples, and you want to make them good, you want to make them deep, you want to make them strong, you want to make them good. Community. That's what he did. He made them in community because the wisdom of community leads us to grow the best in community. The way that we're made, we grow the best in community. If we look at the early church, remember in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 6, they talk about the house churches. And so that's what, that's what they did. They did community. That's what the early church did. It's modeled for us in the scriptures. Community is the way to grow. And there's so many other options and so many other examples in scripture. We don't even have time to go through them. But I do want to talk a little bit about these house churches in Acts chapter 2. So if we look at Acts 2, 42 and 44, this is what it says. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And all those who had believed were together. So they were gathering all the time back then in the, in the early church. And that's what we saw. When, when the churches were planted around, like in Ephesus or, or other places, they grew in community. And so we are made for community. Now contrast this with a bad example from Scripture of somebody who forgot this community issue. Back in 2 Samuel 11, King David. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, 
David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel out to go to battle. But David remained at Jerusalem. And we know the story. He's up on the roof of his palace, walking around at night, and he looks down on a roof, rooftop below, and he sees this woman bathing, Bathsheba. And he says, that's pretty nice. I'm going to linger here and watch. Now, where were his buddies? Where was his accountability group? Where were the guys who take care of him and keep him straight? They were out at battle where he should have been. But what's he doing? He's sitting there alone, checking her out. And then what does he do? He has her brought to his palace. They conceive a son. And then her husband comes back from battle. And he has him killed because he wanted to cover this whole thing up. He has him killed. Uriah was killed in battle. And so what has David done now? He's committed adultery. He's got a child out of wedlock. And he's been a murderer because he had her husband killed all at once. All because, why? He should have been at war. He shouldn't have been back home alone. His buddies weren't there to watch out for him. And he wasn't there to watch out for them. And so what happened? He did what was right in his own eyes. Without community, it's not a good picture. So there's some good news in this. And that is that when David did this, later on, Nathan the prophet confronted him and said, listen, there was a man who had a little ewe lamb that he loved like his own family member, and he cared for this ewe lamb. And there was a rich man with many flocks of sheep that he didn't really care about. But the rich man entertained some friends who came from out of town and he took the poor man's ewe lamb and had it prepared for dinner. What should be done with this? Uh, and David's like, David's hearing this story from Nathan and he's outraged. He goes, that man should be killed. And Nathan turns to him and he says, David, you are that man. You took the ewe lamb, Bathsheba, from Uriah and then you had Uriah killed. And from that we got Psalm 51. David repented, he turned from his sin away from his sin with Bathsheba, he repented before God, he recognized that he had a problem with sin, he said, God, please forgive me, I have done wrong, and he turned away from that. And we don't see another example of him doing that kind of thing anywhere else in scripture. So God took the ashes of David's sin and he allowed him to repent and turned it to a beautiful thing because Bathsheba gave birth to that first son. But God punished David and Bathsheba by taking that first son. So the son was, was, de was dead. And David mourned the son. But the second son that Bathsheba had when David married her later was King Solomon. And that's where we get Proverbs from and Ecclesiastes. And this is where we're learning today about the wisdom of community. The wisest man that ever lived came out of that. So God again took the ashes of David's sin and turned them to beauty so that we could benefit from it even today. And we're still talking about Solomon and David and Bathsheba today. And so let's take a look at what this Solomon has given us relative to wisdom of community. Solomon says in Proverbs 11, he says, in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. An abundance of counselors. That means a bunch of people around you giving counsel to you. That sounds like a C group to me. Without counsel, plans fail, but many, with many advisors, they succeed. Again, in community, getting together, having other advisors, having counselors, having friends that David didn't have when he was on the roof of his palace, that we have the opportunity to do. And right here at Crossroads, they make that available to you. At our church, we do the same thing. And we're seeing it explode right now because this is the time of year when people take advantage of the wisdom of community. It's time to get back plugged in, and this is an opportunity to do it. So again, 
in Proverbs 18, verse 1, Solomon gives us more wisdom. Whoever isolates himself, seeks his own desire, he breaks out against all sound judgment. Well, isn't that what David did on the roof of the palace that night? When he was alone, that's what he did. When he was left to, to himself, when he isolated himself, he sought his own desire and made bad decisions. And it's easy to point the finger at David. I mean, you know, he did this obviously bad thing. But the reality is, Scripture tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means that I have sinned. That means that you have sinned and fall short of God's glory. We all have. And we also know that the wages of sin is death. But the good news is, even though we deserve death, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So God came down as man, God incarnate, Jesus Christ, came down, lived the perfect life that we could not live, died the penalty of shameful death on the cross that we deserved to pay the price for our sins so that through faith in him, we could live with him in eternity forever and be forgiven of those sins. So again, he takes our ashes and he turns them into beauty. He asks, all he asks for us is to turn from our sin toward him and to pursue him in faith. So if you confess Jesus with your mouth, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so he makes it simple for us. Simple, but it wasn't cheap. It wasn't cheap for Jesus. But praise God, he makes it simple for us. And if you don't know Jesus today as your Lord and Savior, you'll have an opportunity today. Let, we'll pray together after the service. Come down front, we'll talk. Because that's the first thing. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom, Proverbs says. And so we want to make sure that we get that squared away first thing. So that is the opportunity that we have. Now Jesus sa saves us through faith. So let's take a look at what Jesus said about the wisdom of community. In John 13, just to set the stage here, he's about to go down and be arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane and be crucified the next day. He's about to be whipped and beaten and then hung on a cross, nails in his hands, his feet, and, and, and crucified. This is the night before, and he knows full well this is coming. He knows what's coming tomorrow, and this is what he says. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you love one another. And he says this. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He's talking about community. So what is he saying here? He's saying that the biggest evangelism tool that we have, the biggest witness to the world that we are his disciples is if we have love for one another and that we're in community. And so for Jesus, this was his apologetic to the world. You know what? If you go out there and you're in a C group or you're in a men's Bible study or women's Bible study, Sunday school class, or one-on-one -on -one mentorship, and people see you serving and, and doing things together and studying God's Word, guess what? They're going to say, they're different. There's something about them that's different, and I want to be like that. And so it's an evangelistic tool. Here again, a little bit later on, same place. He's up there praying his high and priestly prayer in the upper room in John 17, and he says this, praying to the Father, that they may become perfectly one, community, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. So again, here it is. It's a witness to the world through community. That's the way the church shows the world that Christ is real, that God is our, our king and that Christ is our savior. It's through living in community. So here's what it says uh, Francis Schaeffer 
took a look at these passages, and this is what he wrote. Francis Schaeffer's a, an old, uh, brilliant guy, theologian. He wrote this. Love on display in the church is Jesus' final apologetic to the world. It's his final apologetic. He, he said this in the, the, just before he died. People all over the world will not listen if we are not exhibiting community. I think Francis Schaeffer got it right. Our best evangelistic tool, if, if those of you who are here who are into evangelism and you want to be serious about evangelism, but you're not in community, I suggest that you have a, an opportunity to get more serious about evangelism. Get in community with other people and you'll be amazed at what God will do from an evangelistic perspective. So you might say, well, I do the spiritual disciplines. You know, I fast, I pray, I go to church, I read my Bible, I do all these things. What about me? I, am I okay? Is it good enough? Well, actually, these two books right here, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life by Don Whitney, really good book if you want to learn about the spiritual disciplines, and another good book, Kent Hughes, Disciplines of a Godly Man, and I've gone through these in community with some other men, and they're both really good. But here's the deal. At the end of Don Whitney's book, this is what he writes. Spiritual disciplines as a part of the Christian life unrelated to the fellowship of believers is unbiblical thinking. If you are doing the spiritual disciplines and you think you're doing okay, but you're not in community, that's unbiblical. It's about getting together in community and doing the spiritual disciplines with community. He also says, the human maturity of Jesus included growth in favor with both God and man. So will the spiritual maturity of those who seek to be like Jesus. So yes, we want to be in favor with God, but we also are called to be in favor with man. Let's take a look at the passage about Jesus in Luke 2 that talks about this when he was growing up. In Luke 2.52, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So Jesus was, yes, growing in, in wisdom and, and stature and favor with the Father, but also with those around him in community. And that's how he grew. Go back to the Old Testament example. 1 Samuel chapter 2 the boy Samuel. Now Samuel, according to the book of Acts, was the last of the judges and the first of the prophets. And so he was the Renaissance man of the Old Testament. This is what it says about him. Now the boy Samuel was growing in stature and in favor both with the Lord and with men. The Lord there is Yahweh, with Yahweh and with men. So he grew in favor with God, but he also grew in favor with men. So we are made for community. Community is our apologetic, and we're called to be in community. And there are plenty of examples of it in Scripture that we are supposed to be in community. It's modeled for us right there. Now, for me, again, this drives home a key point. For me, it hits home directly because when I got out of college and I married my wife, we were Christians. I got saved when I was five in the church, but I had drifted. I wasn't living my life the way that God wanted me to live it. I was off track. I had grown a little bit far from Jesus, as a matter of fact, to be honest. And so I really was not living the life that Christ would have for me. The reason he saved me was not just to save me, but also for me to live for him. And I wasn't doing that. And so we moved to Pittsburgh, and that's when we came here. And uh, it's kind of interesting. I was a Patriots fan, and we moved to Pittsburgh, and this weekend, whatever. But I'm not really, I'm not really much of a Patriots fan anymore, just to be honest. I mean, we lived in Pittsburgh, you know, it's for four years. It's kind of hard to, uh, to do that. But here's the deal, though. We moved to Pittsburgh. We tried out a few churches not that good. These churches weren't that great. So one day, my wife goes and she's taking an aerobics class at some library, I guess it was, or whatever, and she meets this woman there named Rhonda Barner. Rhonda who? Barner? What is that? Anyway, so then it uh, turns out this Rhonda Barner 
is married to this guy, Ken Barner. And Ken is the youth pastor over there at this church. And it looks like a pretty serious church. Maybe we could try that church. They invited us to come to their church. Again, evangel invitation evangelism. Community. Bring us into community. Well, so here's what happened. I was sitting there listening to this, and I'm saying, you know what? I know I'm off track. I know I'm not where Christ would want me to be. Do you think maybe he could disciple me? That's what I was thinking, but I was afraid to ask that. And I, we met Ken. We came here the first Sunday, and, um, you know, they're very nice people, as you know. Um, and I was like, right away, I kind of blurted out, can we do like a Bible study together or something, something, you know, together? And um, Ken's like, yeah, you know, we'll uh, get back to you. You know, Ken is kind of like, you know, yeah, you know, whatever. We'll think about it. And I'm sitting there going, oh, I really am off track and I know it. And I, anyway, but Ken, being Ken, said, yes, I will meet with you every Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. at Eaton Park Restaurant. And we went through this book, Call to Joy by Billy Hanks Jr. Billy Hanks Jr. never had it so good as with Ken and I were going through his book because we were in this thing a long time. We called it our crawl to joy. And so uh, you guys know Eaton Park. I actually ate there the other night because it's Pittsburgh and you don't get a chance to eat at Eaton Park, the place for smiles, unless you're in Pittsburgh. So we went out there and I had one of those big old burgers and, you know, a, 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 a shake and I had a piece of pie. I got the wrong one, though. I think it's strawberries, they're, they're one. I, I got the coconut. It was pretty good. Anyway, but you see this picture right here, the family eating right there? And they got that little chandelier up there. It's not really well lit in there, but, but it's a good place. It's a place for smiles, a place for those cookies, you know, those uh, frosted cookies. I mean, you can't come out of Eaton Park without a smile on your face. And so uh, that's where we met, every Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. And when you go there at 6 a.m., there's not a lot of people in the place. I mean, it's kind of Ken and me and a lot of tables, you know? So we're in there uh, meeting, doing a Bible study and all this kind of stuff. And Ken orders these French fries, you know. And so they bring him the French fries and he pulls out that bottle of ketchup, you know, Heinz ketchup. Now, who knows where Heinz ketchup is made? Where's Heinz ketchup made? Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. Come on. So people in Pittsburgh know things about Heinz ketchup that other people don't know. Did you know this? They do. Uh, here's, a, here's a proof of it. The waitress brings Ken a bottle of ketchup. And the ketchup won't come out. So what do you do? You take that 57 and you do what? You tap on it like this, right? Right. So Ken's doing that. But guess what? Maybe it was cold that morning. I don't know. Ketchup wasn't coming. But I had learned a trick. There's a trick on how to get these things to work. And you can do it with your mustard, your ketchup, whatever, even mayonnaise. If you don't want mustard-flavored water coming out on your burger or, you know, water, water that is ketchup-flavored on your fries. The way I do it is you just take it like this and you just go like this. <laughs> and now it's all down. Look at that air up there. It's all down at the bottom right now. It really works. It really does. I, I'd never learned this, and it wasn't working for Ken, so I said, Ken, give me that bottle right there. I'll show you how to do it. This is how you get your ketchup out. So I took that thing, and I went, boom. <laughs> I hit the chandelier. It was the loudest noise ever. And this thing is going back and forth like violently like this. It's just swinging back and forth. And I'm sitting here going, oh, what have I done, you know? Well, the waitress comes over immediately. And she says, you got to go. You got to leave right now. You got to go. 
you can't be here. You got to go. And I'm like, but it was ketchup and it was Bible study. You got to go. Poor Ken. I mean, he, he, Ken's like, well, we got to go. He gets up and he starts walking out. I, I guess we got to go. So we got kicked out of Eaton Park restaurant doing a Bible study. <laughs> I mean, you can't make this up. But that's the life of Ken Barner. I'm telling you, man, he's star-crossed. It's amazing. But the point is this, though. I sat there with Ken for months going through crawl to joy and he would ask me questions and he would listen and I would tell him stuff and he would listen and he would pour wisdom into me that drew me back to Christ where I needed to be and you know what that did for me from that moment on from when we did that Bible study and this is why I love Ken so much and I have never had another friend like Ken I just got to be honest I miss Ken and Rhonda that's why we're so grateful to be here. And what an honor it is because the trajectory of my life and my walk with Christ changed right then and have never looked back. You know, I started coming to Crossroads Community Church back then by another name, but a rose by any other name is just as sweet. What was interesting was I was a Patriots fan with a bunch of Steelers fans. I mean, I see Steelers shirts in here right now, and I love them, by the way. My sons were born here. They, Steelers all the way. But it's interesting, though, because when, the, when Tom Brady came in in 2001 for an injured Drew Bledsoe, those of you who are football fans, the Patriots weren't that great. But all of a sudden, they won that game. They won, they won, they won. They went to the playoffs. The tuck rule happened, those of you real football fans. And they went on, they won the Super Bowl that first year. And all the way through, the Patriots weren't very good for a long time. And I was a fan back in the Steve Grogan, Tony Eason days, and, you know, Jim Plunkett, and they were bad. So when they actually won a Super Bowl, it was a big deal. Like, I don't think they'd ever won a Super Bowl before. And so, like, I was, like, fired up. And every game, I'm sitting there, come on now, do the pass play. Do the, yeah, yeah, do a pass, you know. And, I, like, I had something to do with it. You know, I was a big-time fan, you know. But I watched, this, I watched all the games, and they won the Super Bowl. And I was like, yes, they won the Super Bowl. But the Super Bowl ended. And then after the game, did the media come up and interview me? Hey, Dave. What did you think about that pass there to win the game? No, no media came to me. Did I get a check in the mail because we'd won the big game? No. Did I get a trophy? Hey, here's my Super Bowl trophy. No, I didn't get a trophy. Why? Because when the game was over, the game was over. And I was just a fan. I don't get a trophy. Now, when you're a fan, when the game's over, the game's over. But there are those other guys, like Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, and, and those guys, they actually go and they study the playbook and they make decisions that are going to impact the outcome of the game and they execute the plays and it, it, it happens for them. That's, that's how they win. And so when the game's over for them, what happens? They get a big check. Thank you very much. They get a trophy, a Super Bowl trophy, the Lombardi trophy. And then ESPN comes up and sticks a mic in their face and says, hey, Tom, that third touchdown, the one that made the difference, what was it like throwing that ball to that receiver and having that touchdown? And they interviewed him after the game. And those people that actually put in the hard yards and actually do the, do the real winning, and they're the ones that are competing in the arena, those are the guys I call followers, you know? Because they're really in. Those guys are following the Patriots and, and, and leading the way. But when I came to church, it was kind of the same way. I saw that there were people who came here, and they sang the, the hymns on Sunday morning. They sang the songs of praise and all that. They prayed together. They opened their Bibles and they read their Bibles together. And they, some of them even took notes. 
But after the service was over, that was it. They, they went home. And through the rest of the week, you really couldn't see a difference until next week when they would come back again and pray the prayers and sing the hymns and, you know, take the notes and listen, read their Bibles. So they were fans, but there was another group. And I saw that here at Crossroads. There was another group who came on Sunday mornings and they sang the worship, they prayed the prayers, they read their Bibles, but when church was over, they went home and they kept reading their Bibles. They kept praying those prayers. They kept worshiping God even in between the Sundays. And so for them, when, when, when they got together on Sunday, that was just a chance to do it together because they were doing it all during the week anyway. Now those people were followers. And when Ken was discipling me, I, I took a hard look at myself. And I, I just have to admit, I was a fan. I wasn't a follower. And that was a hard wake-up call for me because I didn't want to play a game with Jesus. I wanted to be a follower. I wanted to be serious. I wanted to be the guy in the arena, but I wasn't. And so, at the end of the day, I got down on my knees with Jesus and I said, God, help me to not be a fan anymore. I'm tired of playing games. I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So whatever I am right now, whatever I will be, it's yours. Whatever I have right now, whatever I will ever have, it's yours. Everything, all of it. Because I'm pushing all my chips in. I'm all in. I'm not a fan. I'm a follower. And that's when my life changed. Trajectory. And I've never looked back. So, what it comes down to is we need to not be fans, but followers. But there are some reasons why people don't choose community. And these reasons are, first of all, they've been hurt by the ugliness of somebody in the church. Happened to me. Maybe it's happened to you. If you stick around long enough, maybe it'll happen to you if it hasn't yet. But the bottom line is, we're a bunch of broken people that make up the church. The church is made up of sinners, saved by grace sinners, but sinners nonetheless. And so when we look at the church, we look at them and we look at for what the people do. But that's not the way we should look at the church. That's the way they look at the church. The way that we should look at the church is the way Christ sees the church. He gave his life for the church. Why? Because at the end of days, he will present himself, his beautiful, holy bride, majestic, without spot or wrinkle, for all eternity to love and cherish the glorious church, the sanctified church, the redeemed church, the called church. That's the way we should look at the church. It's not what the church can do for me. It's what Jesus did for them. And that's us. We get to be part of the beautiful, glorious church of Jesus. So we shouldn't look at it the way they do. We should look at it the way Jesus does. Some people don't think they need community. Well, they're just wrong. But if they don't th think they need community, maybe they can come to community and help somebody else figure out how to get their act all the way together too like they think they have theirs. But the reality is we all need community because we're made for community. And then finally, there are those who are fearful. They're fearful of judgment or shame from another person in community or whatever. And that's the way I was. That's what I struggled with. I came to my first C group meeting and there's the door over there and I'm going in. There's the door and I'm going in. I'm, I'm going in. I'm going to do that. I'm... Do I have to do, I don't even like people. Do I, you know, I mean, you say crazy things to yourself. Because what if I don't know enough about the Bible? What if they think I'm a heretic? What if they judge me? What if I have bad breath? What if I'm wearing weird clothes? What if my shoes break? Uh, who knows? 
So we listen to Satan, and we don't want to go in. That first step is the hardest, the one where you open the door and you actually step in. That's the hardest step. So we do have some assurance from Scripture for taking that first step. The first is, Proverbs 29 tells us, the fear of man brings a snare, a trap, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. So don't listen to the fear of man. Trust in the Lord and he will exalt you. And that's what you need to do is take that first step. Don't be afraid. If fear's holding you back, we make priority. We do what we make priority for. A lot of us are going to watch the game today. That's a priority. What's your priority when it comes to community? 2 Timothy 1.7, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and of self-control. We have nothing to fear. There is no, there, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We don't have to be afraid. We have a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. And these are things that can be practiced in community. So why choose the wisdom of community? Simple. God in his word models it and commands it for us. They model, God models it through scripture. He commands it of us. We should be obedient. We grow spiritually healthy and mature faster in community than any other place. Plus, it opens that fourth channel. We have prayer, circumstances, scripture, and then also the body of believers that God speaks, us, speaks to us through. You want to have all four channels open to God to hear him fully. It allows you to use your spiritual gifts. How do you use your spiritual gifts if you're not doing it in community? You have to be in community to use your spiritual gifts. And everybody in this room who's saved has a spiritual gift at least. Some have multiple spiritual gifts. So where do you use them? in community. And it's also a lot of fun. Most of the people in there really care about you. There is that weird guy in the corner, but you know what? It's okay. We're going to get to know him and he's going to be okay, but he's a person too and you know, maybe I'm a little weird too because we're people. Is it never messy? No. It can be messy. Life on life can be messy, but we need to lean into the mess of community because that's what God called us to. So for me, it was a matter of am I a fan? Or am I a follower? And I decided for me, I was going all in. All in on community. And I've been doing it ever since. In fact, I do adult discipleship where I am now, and I, I oversee all of our groups. And it's, uh, it's actually wonderful. But in the beginning, it was scary. But it's not. We just have to turn off Satan's voice and focus on where we need to be. Probably the most famous verse in the New Testament on community is uh, Hebrews 10.25. 24 and 25, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. You can't do that if you're alone. The only way you can stir people up to love and good works is in community. And so, again, here's the call of community. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day, approach, uh, the, the day drawing near. So here's the deal. Bible study trick. This is, this is uh, no extra charge for this. You see where it says, not neglecting to meet together? That's kind of a weird way to say that, isn't it? It's like a double negative. Why would they put a double negative in this beautiful verse? And there's a reason for that. When you're reading through Scripture and you see a double negative or a repeat of something, it means there's something important going on here. You need to pay attention. And so this double negative drives home the importance of this point. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Attention, don't miss this. Don't neglect to meet together in community. That's what the Bible's telling us right there, with emphasis, the way the Bible emphasizes. So what's really great about Crossroads is you get a lot of opportunities to plug in. There are lots of venues and, and ways to plug into community. In fact, if you look in your uh, bulletin today, 
there's actually a, a form here, the C group form. It says right on the top. And of course, you can plug into men's groups, women's groups, 6.30 p.m. Wednesday evening here. You can plug into your C groups, which are sort of everywhere. But tomorrow night at 6.30, I thought I heard Ken say that there's going to be a launch event. Come to the launch event. Meet the people who are in community. And yeah, there's that weird guy over there, but that's okay. Still go in. Take the first step in the C groups. C groups are a way that God uses to reach the community for Christ. And then there's one-on-one mentorship, like what Ken did with me, using Call to Joy with, with the, this book right here. And I know there are a bunch of groups that are doing that as well. And then on Sunday mornings, Roger Metcalf Sunday School class at 11 a.m. I remember Roger back when I was here. And uh, really cool to, uh, to see. So um, very awesome. But anyway, I just uh, would encourage you all, this is an opportunity to plug into community. Crossroads Community Church makes it easy to plug into community. And I would just encourage you to take advantage of what you have here at Crossroads. Because remember, in community, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. We were made for this. We're designed for this. This is the way that that God made us. And Christian community is a powerful gift from God to grow his people. So don't miss out. Jump into, run to community. Don't miss it. This is the way God made you. This is the way God will use you. And this is the way that you will grow the best. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for the body of believers that you've given us so that we can grow in community, honor you in community, evangelize in community, serve in community, all these things in community, Lord, that you call us to in the Christian life. So Father, have your way in our lives today. May we hear from you today, Holy Spirit, and I ask that, uh, Lord, just help us to pray to you to ask you how we can better be in community to honor you more. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this opportunity here at this beautiful place with these wonderful people. And I just uh, lift them all up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's thank God for Dave Havoc tonight, this morning. We're thrilled. Thank you for that powerful message. I want to encourage you. I want to hear more people in our church getting kicked out of Eaton Park. I think it's a, a godly thing to do, all right? So I want to encourage you. Jump in on our C Group launch event tomorrow night. Jump in those men's and women's groups. We've got a lot of opportunities here. And I thank God for Dave and Susan. Susan was also started Mops with Rhonda. You and Rhonda together started Mops here. That was a long, long time ago. Yeah, a long time ago. So I know the Mops group is thriving today, and God has, continues to do work. Uh, our church is about making disciples who will make disciples. And so that's really exciting. So we lay a foundation, and God takes it and runs. Amen? Let's all stand together and be dismissed. I want to encourage you to greet each other, and uh, we'll see you. Have a good week. dark room in silence fuel imagination tonight the stars shine bright and spell my name the winter cold chill blows away and bonfire fire warms my heart under the night sky I'm drifting off in the deep of the valley your presence
silence all on this earth As I lay here and ponder on all creation, you made it all I'm just dreaming in this empty room, but my thoughts are gone Cause I'm an Didn't even see it as a sacrifice. 